How are we all doing this morning? Doing good? Did we get did we get chocolate this morning? No? Some did, some didn't. Thank you. So um uh, for those of you who may or may not know, Craig and um, a small team of people are in Fiji um, and they've been having a great time. They're all saying it's way too hot. It's sort of around 34, 35 degrees and they're all dying in the heat. So, um, But they're, they're home tomorrow, which would be great. Um, and as per usual, um, Fiji have worked Craig very hard. He's completely shattered. I spoke to him. They had a um, dawn service this morning, so they were all up and ready for church at five, starting their um, their service. And I said to him, because uh, he rang, and his voice is almost completely gone. So I thought that's actually quite funny. I'm not quite sure how he's going to pull off the rest of the day, but anyway, it should be good. So um, yeah. So and Craig doesn't really do chocolate. Doesn't really. It's not really his thing. Um, but I always buy him an Easter egg because I know then I'm going to have it. So, but you know, and I don't want him to feel like he misses out, right? So I'm going to give him the egg, and then I've done the nice wife thing. Um, but yeah, the upshot is that uh, he's not really into it, and, and I know that I'll be able to eat it, so it'd be awesome. So, and he says to me, he goes, I'm not going to be there, so you don't need to buy me an egg. Oh, baby, I bought you an egg. Don't worry. I got you covered. So anyway, um, so it's been a bit of a, an interesting week. I had prepped my message for Easter. And I was like, yep, this is the message. It's going to be great. And then I really felt God tell me, mm, I don't want you to say that message. I want you to say a different message. So I was like, oh, really? Because I prepped this message like two weeks ago, and I feel really good about it, God. Like, I, you know, I even got the slides and everything. And, but no, God was quite insistent. So I have changed the message, and I really feel that this is a message that's going to speak to some people specifically and to other people generally. Um, and so if you are the person or the people that this is speaking to specifically, um, I really pray and believe that this is going to set you free, that this is going to release you from, from a mental bondage that you've been under. And for the rest of us, we have moments when we can mentally get under, under a bit of bondage, so I think it will help the rest of us. Is that all good? That's all cool? All right. So turn with me, if you brought your Bible or your iPhone, or your iPad, or you can just look at the screen, to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. And it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on, anyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ. Now, this is an amazing passage of Scripture because it says that there will be no more curse. There will be no more generational curse, no more hexes on your family, no more things traveling down through, through your family line from your parents or your grandparents. None of that will continue with you because the curse has been broken. You see, when you get into being fully immersed into the kingdom of God, you are actually a new creation. We had baptisms the other week. These people went through the waters of baptisms and they are now new creations. And what that means is that the old is gone, the past is, is gone, everything that was before has been completely broken and they are walking as a new creation that there is no more curse. They are a new expression as to who they are. And no curse is able to hold you. Now, some of you are going, Trin, what curse are you talking about? I'm so glad you asked. So we have to go to Genesis. 
And we have to go to Genesis because Genesis is the book of beginnings. Everything that happens in Genesis then gets repeated through the rest of the Bible. So if we're going to look at, at the beginning of this to understand, we need to go to Genesis. So go to Genesis chapter 3. Now, because of time, I don't, I, I'm not going to read you the whole chapter. I'd really like to read you the whole chapter. But what I'm going to do is... This chapter is about the temptation and the fall of man. So those of you who are familiar with this, you know generally what I'm going to say. I'm going to paraphrase this as I go through. So um, basically what we have is that we have God has created Adam and Eve. They're living in the Garden of Eden. Now the Garden of Eden is perfect. Like, can you just take a moment and think about it? Can you imagine what living in perfect is like. Like, God has created us to have heaven on earth, right? And in the garden, it's perfect. No one has to work. If you are hungry, you can just grab a piece of fruit from any of the trees. Not the tree in the middle. Any of the other trees, you can, you can just grab a piece of fruit. There's no need to shop because you don't need clothes because the temperature is perfect. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. The climate is so perfectly controlled that you don't break a sweat doing anything. In fact, you don't even have to do anything. It's just perfect, right? And God comes, and he, Father God comes, and he has these conversations with them in the cool of the evening, and they have great conversations, and it's a perfect environment with perfect conditions, with perfect living. But into this perfect comes a serpent, and the serpent comes in, and he gets them to start questioning perfect. It's perfect. There's nothing wrong with where they are living. What happens is the devil will come along, and he will make you look at something that works and get you to think that it doesn't. The devil will make you look at something you're happy with, and he starts hissing in your ear, and the next thing you know... You're not happy with it. Has God said he starts hissing? See, the devil will make you think that there's something better out there, that there's something better than the plan that God has for you. He gets you to start thinking that you might need, that you know, there's a better life over there, that the grass is greener over there. And he starts getting you to think like this. But you need to understand that what God has for you is perfect. You see, it's always perfect. But the devil, he just, he just gets in your ear. God doesn't hold anything back from you. When the devil starts telling you that God's, God's shortchanging you or God's keeping things back or God's giving to somebody else and not to you, you have to remember the devil is a liar. God doesn't hold anything back from you. God loves you. You are his child, and he wants the best for you. So his plans for you are perfect. And the devil starts to hiss, and he says, has God said? And they could eat off any tree in the garden but the one in the middle. Now, the tree in the middle of the garden is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the devil starts hissing at them, God's holding out on you. You're not going to die if you eat that. If you eat that, you're going to have wisdom. You're going to be wise like God. In fact, you'll know the difference between good and evil. Now, that on the surface sounds okay. Why, why wouldn't you want to know the difference between good and evil, right? Like, it sounds like a good thing. You know what the problem is about knowing the difference between good and evil? You are judged 
by what you know. My um, great niece, um, Alea, is 10 months old. She's an absolutely gorgeous little girl. And she's just starting to learn to eat solid food, right? And she makes a hang of a mess, like seriously. It gets everywhere. It's all over her, it's all over the thing. And then she, you, know, you put it in her mouth and she just starts spitting it out. And it gets all over you, it gets in your face, it gets in your hair. Now, it might be annoying, but we don't growl her for that, right? She just thinks this whole thing's a game anyway. And so she laughs at your reaction and does it even more, right? It's a game, it's fun. But a 15-year-old, 15-year-old spitting food in your face, whole different story, right? Why is it a different story? Because you're accountable for what you know. You see, the problem with eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that it makes us accountable for knowing good from evil. See, anytime you're made accountable for something, your conscience will now convict you about what you should do. So they eat the fruit, their eyes are open, they know that they're naked, and then they hear the sound of the voice of God. Now I need to pause for a moment because this is going to probably shake a few of you when I say this. So I need you to be really listening. Most English translations of the Bible have Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, which is going to be on our screen. Yep. Oh, yeah, this one. And most versions read like this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, when you look at this verse in Hebrew, when you actually pick up a Jewish translation of the Bible, it reads a bit differently. It reads like this. They heard the voice of Adonai God walking in the garden. At the time of the evening breeze, so man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of Adonai God among the trees in the garden. They heard the voice of God walking in the cool of the day. They heard the voice of God walking. The voice of God walking. How does a voice walk? The voice of God is distinguished by the word of God. John 1, 1 to 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Who is John talking about? Remember we did this a few weeks ago? Whenever the preacher asks a question, the answer is always Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. He's talking about Jesus. So the voice of God is the Son of God. The voice is the Word, and the Word is Jesus. Ergo, the voice of God is the Son of God. Why do you think Adam and Eve ran when they heard the voice? Because they've never heard this voice before. You see, they've been dealing with God the Father. See, in the cool of the day, God the Father came. All their interactions and all their conversations have been with God the Father, but they've not yet had a revelation of the Son. So when the Son shows up in the garden walking in the cool of the day. And you know it's the sun for several reasons. Because first of all, the sun asks the question, Adam, where are you? Why would he ask something if it was God the Father who knows everything? There are some things that the Son of God does not know. He does not know the end of days. In fact, he says that himself in Mark 13, 32. And Jesus said, 
But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. There are some things that God reserves for himself. This is not actually a test of Adam and Eve. This is actually a test of the Son. And you know it had to be Jesus because if the Father had shown up, Adam and Eve would have died because they were in sin. If you are in sin and you see God, you will die. The sin in us activates the holiness in God and will kill us. You see, people have this concept that, you know, we, we had that scripture that says, um, and Satan fell like lightning from, from heaven. And they think what happens is that God and Satan sat down and had a conversation and then God said, no, that's it, you know, you have to leave. That's not what happened. The moment sin was conceived in the heart of Satan, he was ousted of heaven instantly. There was no conversation. There were sinners there, and he was banished instantly. God could not, God the Father could not come to Adam and Eve because he would kill them because his holiness would not allow him to be in the presence of sin without dealing with it. So God had to send the Son before he sent the Son. The Son of God shows up and asks the question, Adam, where are you? He didn't say, Eve, where are you? Because at that time, Eve's name was Adam. You see, Eve didn't get named until after the fall. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about what the Hebrew word for Adam actually was and what it meant? Anyone remember that? No? Maybe? If you didn't, go back and listen to our fasting message again. Whole big section on it. In Genesis 3.20, Adam calls his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. He doesn't name her that until after the fall, until after they've been banished. Adam names her after the fall. Before the fall of man, her name is Adam too. So when Jesus is saying, Adam, where are you? Both of them should have come running because they were created to be co-equal. They were created to be co-regents, co-rulers, king and queen, equal ruling within Eden. And it's important that you understand that because sometimes we have this small thinking, and if you have small thinking you're going to end up with small living, and then you cannot move into the fullness of God in your life. You have actually been created to reign and to have dominion. And Jesus asked the question, have you eaten from the tree? Who told you you were naked? Right? And so then they start this whole blame game, right? And, and um, Eve says, well, you know what happened? It was the serpent, and he said to eat the fruit, and, and he deceived me, and I ate the fruit, Right? And then Jesus just kind of, God turns and looks at Adam and he says, doesn't say anything, just looks at Adam and Adam goes, actually, it was the woman, the woman that you gave me. This is actually your fault because you gave her to me and she gave me the fruit and I ate and, and then I knew I was naked, right? And that's what happens. When we get caught out, we look to cast blame and not take accountability. We look to give reasons to justify, to have excuses as to why we did what we did instead of just owning it and going, yeah, that was me, my bad. I actually wonder what would have happened if they had. So then what happens is we have what they call the judgment of Eden, right? It's not a curse. See, a lot of people who have been raised in church, they actually walk around thinking there is a curse on their life. The devil is a liar. There is no curse on your life. You cannot be cursed. I don't care what mumbo-jumbo somebody said to you. I don't care what they've said is in your family line. If you are walking with Jesus, if you are walking with God, you cannot be cursed. There is a ble The blessing of God is on your life. You cannot be cursed. You cannot be stopped. You cannot be hindered. 
All the devil can do is get you to believe that you are so that you react as if you are. But the judgment of Eden is threefold. First of all, the serpent. Genesis 3, 14 to 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and he, uh, you shall bruise his heel. See, the serpent is rendered mute and has to eat dust. He has to crawl on his belly forever. Who the serpent was before this, which is the Hebrew word Nahash, and we actually do not have time to go into that. But it is obvious that he could communicate because otherwise Eve would have been freaking out about the talking snake, right? Because I would be freaking out about a talking snake. And he was made the lowest. He was made to crawl. He was made to um, live in the dust. That was the curse. The snake was cursed. And it was commanded that there would be a blood feud between the snake and the woman. And I want you to notice where the snake attacks. He has to attack you at your heel because the enemy cannot attack you where you are going because he does not own your future. He can only attack your past. That is why you have to get over the things in your past. Because as long as they are an issue in your life, as long as the pain of what has happened in your past stays with you, he has an opening to come in and attack you. That is why we say to you, get counseling, get help, get prayer. Because as long as your past controls you, as long as your past is still painful, as long as your past has not been reconciled by the blood of Jesus, then the enemy will continue to attack The enemy cannot fight you over your future. He will only attack you at the point of your past. So the serpent is cursed and the woman is judged. So the second one is the woman. And he says to her in verse 16, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. See, the woman's judgment can be summed up in one word. Worry. Men and women are really different. They are different in the way that their brains function and the way that they operate. And did you know that when a man sits down in his home, and this was a, a test that they did, and when a man sits down in his home, his stress levels actually go away. They actually diminish enough in the brain that they can actually see it dropping completely. When he sits down, it's almost like he has that instant gratification of, I made it, I am home, I am safe. When a woman sits down in her home, her stress levels go up. It's because she's thinking of all the stuff that she's still got to do, right? But it does. That's what happens. If a woman sits down, her stress levels will automatically rise. And when questioned, they gave a list of everything that they thought that they still needed to do before they could sit down. Part of the judgment for women is about worry. There are two sources of your worry. The first one is your kids. Women worry about their kids a whole lot more than the men do. And it's not because they don't care about them. It's because their relationship is different. See, women carry that child for nine months. You nurture that child. You grow that child. You change the way that you eat to to grow this child. Particularly if you're having issues with certain foods, you you will change your whole entire diet to keep growing this child. And then after the child's born, you feed this child, whether you're doing breastfeeding or bottle feeding, whatever it is that you're doing. When your baby is sleeping, you can hear the subtle differences in the way that they breathe, right? Men don't hear that. Not because they don't care, 
but because their relationship is different. You see, we can see this child in pain, so we have a pain bond. We actually have a trauma bond with the children that we carry. And we worry. And it never stops. Doesn't matter how old they are, they still worry. I was in the car with my mom a little while ago, and um, 48, right? And she slams on the brakes and puts her hand out to stop me from flying forward. I'm like, Mom, I'm wearing a seatbelt. I'm an adult, I got this. But her instinct was to still protect me and stop me from flying forward. It never stops. The second thing is part of the curse was your desire should be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. This goes back to the fact that we were supposed to be co heirs, we were supposed to be joint rulers, we were supposed to do this equally and together. The idea contrasts the woman's husband with her husband's rule over her and speaks of the challenge of embracing the husband's role as leader of the home and family. Because of the curse, Eve is going to have to fight to desire her, fight the desire to master her husband, a desire that works against God's ordained order for the home. You see, Adam had headship prior to the fall, but now it's not like she's going to accept it easily, and there's going to be battles, and there's going to be conversations, and there's going to be disagreements. It's much harder now for the woman to, eat, to very easily submit to their husbands, because sometimes we think they're dumb. Sometimes we think they're wrong. And then God says, you still have to submit. And you go, I don't want to. Not that you guys do that. That's just an issue that I have. You guys are all fine. The third part of the judgment was on man. And then Adam says, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. From out of it you are taken, from dust you are, and from dust you shall return. God says, I'm not going to curse you, Adam. I'm going to curse Adama, the ground. Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is why if you miss church, you miss some of the stuff that we're building into. Adama is the name of the ground. So God doesn't curse Adam. He doesn't curse what he created. God loves Adam and he loves everything and says, out of you, all of humanity is going to come out of you, but I'm going to curse the ground for your sake. Because of you, the ground is now cursed. Have you ever been to a forest that's pretty much untouched by man and seen how amazing, how beautiful the trees and everything are? That's because we're not there. That's because as soon as we turn up, the ground becomes cursed. Prior to us turning up, it's not cursed. But have you ever tried to grow a tomato? Do you know how hard that is? You've got to water it, you've got to watch it, you've got to look after it. And then, if, heaven forbid, you miss watering it for one day, the next thing you know, the whole thing has a hissy fit and stops growing for you. Why? Because the ground is cursed. It is. The ground is going to fight you. Climate is going to fight you. The environment is going to fight you. You know, I don't understand. I did everything right. Do you know how many times I've tried to grow something? Like, seriously, I just, I just can't. Like, through lockdown, I thought, this is my opportunity to grow plants, right? To grow a, some vegetables of some kind. Because I'm at home, and I can see it all the time, and I'll remember it's there. It didn't happen. They're all dead. Sometimes, sometimes my mum takes my plants home and nurses them back to health. And then she doesn't give them back because she said, you're just going to kill it again. So, you know, but like the soil that we're planting into doesn't have the nutrients to support what we're trying to grow. The seed that we have is good. 
but sometimes it's the environment that we're in. You see, the death and resurrection of Jesus grants us entry into the kingdom. And as a citizen of the kingdom, the ground that you stand upon, the ground that you walk upon is blessed. You are not cursed. It's the ground. God will change the soil where, you, where you're walking. He'll change the environment. The seed that you have when you plant it is going to give you an abundant harvest. Sometimes we can have so much failure in our life that we actually think it's us, that we think, yeah, maybe I am cursed because that's what the enemy's going to hiss at you. But it's not you, it's the environment. In fact, Revelation 22.3 says, there shall be no, curse, no more curse. There's no more curse in the kingdom. The ground is not cursed in the kingdom. And in the kingdom, you can put a small seed into good ground and get a harvest. In the kingdom, you can take one acorn and plant it, and you'll end up with a whole forest of oak trees. Why? Because that's how the kingdom works. You see, when everything else around you and circumstances is looking bad for you, God will make sure that you have the abundance that you require. He will open doors that need to be opened. He will open uh, pathways and light up pathways for you that nobody else is walking down in your circumstance because you're a citizen of his kingdom. You're a child of his. Everything you touch is blessed because he has blessed it for you. There is no curse for you. You are no longer fighting the ground. Galatians 3, 13 to 14, back to our scripture at the beginning, says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus received this curse, which we deserved and he did not, so that we could receive a blessing the blessing of Abraham, which Jesus deserved, and we do not. It would be enough if Jesus simply took away the curse that we deserved. But he actually did far more than that. He also gave us a blessing that we didn't deserve. This blessing means that the blessing is ours in Jesus, in faith, and not on principle of the law. You see, because the promise is always received, it's not earned. Genesis Let's just have a quick look at what this blessing is that we've got. Um, Madison, if you could come, that would be great. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord God said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families on the earth shall be blessed. Now, the Abrahamic covenant is such an amazing relationship between God and Abraham that it promised him three things, land, seed, and blessing. Firstly, God promised Abraham that he would give him a new land, the promised land, where God would live with Abraham and his offspring forever. You see, that's what Eden was. That's what the garden was. That was, that was God's desire to live in relationship with us. And through circumstances, through the decisions that they made, that was lost for all of us. But God promises he's going to return it back. When man was forced out of Eden due to sin, God made a plan to restore humanity back to the land of promise through Abraham. We will dwell with God in this place. Secondly, God promised Abraham that he would be a great nation, that he would have many offspring, that the covenant would be fulfilled by Jesus. Much like the promise to Abraham and Eve back in Genesis, Jesus, the seed, is going to bring hope and healing to all nations. Thirdly, God promised Abraham that he would be blessed in order to be a blessing. That through Abraham, all nations on the earth will be blessed. 
God blesses you so He can bless everybody else. He doesn't bless you just to bless other Christians. He blesses you so you can bless everyone else. It's not conditional upon the state that they're in or their right standing with God. It's conditional upon your right standing with God. So how does this promise from Abraham thousands of years ago have significance for us today? that he was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Abraham realized that the dwelling that he longed for was not a physical building, it's not a house, but a spiritual one. See, Abraham always lived in tents because he knew that an eternal city being built by God was actually his home. And where he resides at the moment on earth was not his home. His forever home is in heaven. Jesus makes all of this possible for us. You see, beyond this, our dwelling place is Jesus. He is our promised land. Colossians says that we are rooted and built up by Him. He is our promised possession, our inheritance. We are His. Ephesians says that Jesus dwells in our hearts. This physical earth will eventually be replaced by a new earth and we will live forever with Jesus. But beyond that, we live forever in Jesus and He in us. Secondly, Jesus is the ultimate seed of promise. Like Isaac, He was miraculous. Jesus miraculously was born to fulfill the covenant made to Abraham and to fulfill every promise that God had ever made. Paul saw, the Apostle Paul saw the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promises in Christ. He is the seed who will make every single promise come true. God promised Abraham a great nation, and that was fulfilled physically, yes, with the nation of Israel. But it was also fulfilled through Christ because he says that he's going to create a holy nation, a royal priesthood of which we are a part of. Thirdly, God told Abraham that through him every nation will be blessed. And by now you know exactly who I'm going to say our blessing is, right? Jesus is our blessing. Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, Solomon, these were all offspring who did not actually bless us. Jesus is the blessing. He's a substitute for all humanity. He's the one who was born of a woman, born without sin, born to die, that he would courageously carry his cross and die the death that you and I deserve. No other offspring would have done this for us. Jesus is our blessing. Not just his death, but his very life. His life lives in us by faith. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing, is what it says in Ephesians. Because we have His likeness growing inside of us, this means that we have all we need for life and godliness. In a nutshell, the blessing of Abraham is being justified before God by faith instead of having to work for God. The blessing we receive is not the blessing of fantastic wealth and power, although Abraham was incredibly wealthy and God will bless you in that way. The blessing is actually something far more precious than that. The blessing is actually right standing with God through faith. It means that, ladies, you don't have to worry. God will set you free from your worry, from your anxiety. And God will set you free, men, from having to toil and having to fight the earth and fight your environment. When Jesus said, it is finished,
not cursed. Circumstances may be telling you one thing. The devil may be hissing in your ear that it's not going your way because God's holding out on you. God blessed everybody else, but he's blessed you because something you've done in your past, something your ancestors have done in your past, something your grandparents have done, is withholding God from putting his blessing upon you. That's a lie. It's an outright lie. But so many of us, particularly Christians, actually believe that. I, I find it really quite bizarre that we believe that Jesus went to the cross and he became our sacrifice and he died and he rose again and that if I believe in him and proclaim that, that I am saved and I'm going to heaven. We believe that, yet we struggle to believe the rest of it. We struggle to believe that he is for us, that he has blessed us. We struggle to believe that he will provide for us, that he has the best things for us. You know what? I think believing the first bit is harder. Why can we believe that bit but we don't believe the rest? Too many Christians live their life only having Jesus as that moment of salvation and don't take him up on every other blessing that he's given you. Yes, he was a sacrifice. Yes, he took your place. But he not only did he do that for you, he also gave you blessings. Blessings. And you need to believe that. You are not cursed. There is no more curse. Not for you, because you walk with Jesus. So I just want us to take a moment. Close your eyes. Because it would be remiss of me to assume that every person here is a follower of Jesus. It would be remiss of me to think that there aren't some prodigals in the house. So if you've been listening to this message, if you're a Christian right now, you need to be praying for those who are unsaved here or for those who are questioning things. But if you are someone who doesn't know Jesus, and maybe some of what I've said has sparked something. Maybe you want to know more. Maybe you want to start a journey. Maybe you want to have a conversation. Or maybe you're a prodigal who wants to come home. Know that God has his arms out wide. And if, that, if you fit in either one of those categories, I'd like to pray with you. So I'm just going to ask you just now just to slip your hand up. When I see your hand, I'll tell you to put it down. So if you would like prayer because you're a prodigal returning, if you would like prayer because you want to know a bit more about Jesus, then I just ask you to put your hand up right now. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you. And then if you want, you can fill in one of those Blue Live Connected cards and just tick on there you're a first time or you're returning. If you don't have a Bible, Go to the information desk and just ask for one. You don't have to justify why you want one. Just ask for a Bible. And I want you to start reading in the Gospels. So start reading in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we're just gonna, I'm just going to pray for you. So Lord, I just want to pray for those people who lifted their hands. Father, whether they are someone who is returning to you or someone who has questions, I pray, God, that regardless of why they raise their hand, God, that you would meet them where they are. Lord, that you would bring people along and around them to have conversations with them. Father, to answer any queries they have. Father, to be able to lead them and point them in your direction. Lord, for the prodigals who are coming home, God, that they would sense your joy and your love for them and just the celebration that you're having. For those, Father, who um, are on a journey and have some questions, God, I pray, Lord, that as they begin this journey, God, that you would reach out and that they would sense your presence in their life and that they would see your hand begin to move upon them. 
We thank you for that. And God, I just want to pray for every single person here who has been struggling with the thoughts that maybe they are cursed or has not fully believed, Father. Not only have you come and saved them, Father, but that you have brought blessing and poured blessing upon them, God, that they would leave here today with the sense and the knowledge that, Father, not only do you have your best intentions, that your plans for them are perfect, but that you have blessed them, that their life is not to be small, that their life is not to be mediocre, but that they are to live in the fullness of God and in the fullness of everything that you have for them. And I pray, God, that you would deafen their ears to the hissing of the enemy, Lord, that no longer will they hear his words whispering to them, but, Lord, that they would see your hand, that they would see the goodness and mercy that follows them all the days of their life. Lord, that as you point the directions to where they are to walk, Father, they would see your blessings fall in front of them as they go. Pray and thank you, God, for this great day. I thank you, God, that we have a chance to come together and celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. And all God's people said, Amen. So thank you for coming today. And we are deep, really, really excited because we've got hot cross buns and we've got Easter eggs for everyone. Um, but can we make sure we just take one Easter egg and then when everyone's had one, then we can have a free-for-all on the rest. Is that good? Yeah? Awesome. Otherwise, we will see you guys next week.